And this morning, uh, playing off the word legacy, we're going to talk about leaving a legacy and how to leave a legacy that lasts. And so, um, you know, as I was uh, thinking about this, I don't know if you've thought of this, what kind of legacy am I going to leave behind when I'm gone? You know, it tends to get maybe a little bit more, you think about this as you get older, and, uh, but I think that this is something that we all need to think about, because the truth is, is how we live now, the choices and decisions that we make now are going to affect the legacy that we leave behind. And so I, I thought of a few people who have left just an incredible legacy, Martin Luther King Jr., Abraham Lincoln, Mother Teresa, Albert Einstein, Jackie Robinson, Billy Graham, Harriet Tubman, Winston Churchill. You know, all these people have done these incredible things for the world, and they've been remembered for it. And, and I was thinking, well, what's, what's special about these people? What did they do? And the surprising thing is that they were actually, all of them were pretty normal people, if you knew them. But I, I believe what they all did was they saw a great need, they saw a huge need, and then they did something about it. They acted on it. And many of these people had a, a fear and a reverence for God, so God ultimately gets the glory in their lives. But this morning, we're going to look at another person who left a legacy for God, and it's Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. He was a, a cupbearer for the king. He lived in the 400s uh, B.C., so like 2,500 years ago, and uh, he was a cupbearer. Now, what a cupbearer did is they would work right with the king, and before the king would drink anything, the cupbearer would take the cup, and he would drink it for the king. And why would he drink it for the king? Well, the king needed to know if it was safe to drink. And so if, if the cupbearer dropped dead, well, then the king would know, well, that's not safe to drink, Right? And then a new cupbearer would be promoted, right, to that role. And so this sounds kind of ridiculous to us, but this was actually a very prestigious role. Because what this meant was the cupbearer was a person to whom the king had full and complete trust in. Because who better to kill the king than the person who tries the thing that he's just about to drink? And so Nehemiah was a person of humility, of integrity, of trustworthiness. And as we're going to see in this book, he was a man who left a lasting legacy. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps... Go ahead and turn to Nehemiah, and I want to remind you again, we don't have the handouts today, but we do have our on you version. If you go to events and then Alpine West Haven, uh, we have all the notes there for you to follow along on your smartphone. But uh, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, the book of Nehemiah. Now, this book shows us a few things. It shows us the first thing, that uh, God is faithful. I mean, a lot of books in the Bible show us that, but especially this one, God is faithful, because as we've been looking in the story of the Exodus, these people coming out, you know, these people were continually disobedient, and, and uh, there was a lot of corrupt leadership and, and poor practices and idol worship going on. And, and as we see in this book, as it opens, there was actually a lot of bad things that were going on for God's people but even in spite of all of that, God proves himself to be faithful in the lives of his people. So, so let's go to, uh, the, to chapter 1, and we're just going to read through verses 1 through 3. It says this, In late autumn in the ninth month of Kislev, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress, this is Nehemiah writing this, I was at the fortress of Susa. 
Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity, about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So as I said, the people, that God's people are not doing well. In fact, for 70 years, they were exiled from their land. They were, because of their poor choices, their disobedience, they were actually removed by their enemies. And what this caused is a split in God's people. There was the nation of Israel, which represented 10 tribes. And then there was the nation of Judah, which represented two tribes. The thing that you need to know about that is Israel was really, really bad. And Judah was really bad. So they, they were a little bit better than Israel, but they were both just kind of screw-ups as you read through the Old Testament. But now they get to go home. And so Nehemiah knows this. He loves God's people, so he says, well, how, how are things going there? And this is the report he gets. And we need to understand something. The gates and the walls have been torn down. And ancient walls served many important functions, okay? So they, they offered protection and security for the people within the land. They offered a place where the people could have families and have community without the fear of people coming and attacking them. And then the last thing is they reflected the power of the nation, of the people, because if you have walls built up, you're very powerful, you're, you're prestigious. But since the walls were torn down, it's kind of a metaphor for how the people of Israel were also torn down. They were in distress. They were in ruins. And this is, this is what uh, just something that, that uh, really affected Nehemiah to his core. And so here's, here's the crossroads he has. He, he can do something or he can't do something. And as we're going to see this morning, he chooses to do something. And through choosing to do something, he leaves a lasting legacy. And so we're going to look at four things that he did that I believe that, that we can do 2,000 plus years later to leave a lasting legacy. The first thing is this, is he desired, and we should, desire that God would break your heart for what breaks his. We've all been heartbroken in life. Maybe it was a junior high boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, who, they, oh, it was my soulmate. I was going to marry them. Maybe you're in that stage right now. Um, good luck with that. Uh, maybe uh, it was when you woke up this morning and you saw snow, and that was just so heartbreaking. I was like, oh, God, please, no, not yet, you know. Um, we still have time. For me, though, when I think of heartbreak, I think of one specific situation. It was February 1st, 2015. It was around 8 o'clock, 8.30 p.m., there were thousands of people in attendance, millions of people viewing. The Seattle Seahawks <laughs> were playing the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 49. Don't say anything, anyone, unless you're a Seahawks fan. And, uh, and they, they, it, was, it was just the most miraculous thing that Seattle was even in the Super Bowl. They had won it the year before. They were going to win it again. There was under a minute left in the game. They were like right outside New England's end zone, third down. They snapped the ball, and instead of handing it to the most dominant running back in the NFL for a touchdown and to win the game, they decide to throw a slant, and when you throw the ball, the other team can catch it and take possession, and that's exactly what happened. And I remember watching this game, and I was like, wait, 
Did that just happen? Like, where's the penalty flag? Where, where's, you know, they call the play dead or something like that? It has to, it, that can't be true. And as reality set in, my heart broke and broke and broke slowly. You know, this is trivial, obviously. I mean, I was genuinely upset, but only for a little while. But, you know, there are things in life that really do affect us at our core. You know, we see extreme famine in the world, starvation, relationship loss, losing a loved one, losing a job opportunity. These things can break our hearts. And this is what happened to Nehemiah in verse 4 of chapter 1. He said, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. You see, Nehemiah was in this prestigious role. He had everything. I mean, he was really sitting pretty. But what he cared about most was not his position in the kingdom. He cared the most about God and God's people. In other words, he cared about what God cared about, and therefore his heart was broken for what broke God's heart. And I believe that God's heart can still be broken today. You know, as they said in the video, Syracuse is a city of 30,000 people and growing fast. And, and in, I just want to share some statistics with you because this, this, uh, this is kind of a humbling truth. There are two services in the city of Christian services in the city of Syracuse on a week uh, on a weekend we have one saturday night service of the handful of people and then we have one sunday morning service at, at alpine syracuse and let me just let me just share with you three other cities that i'm sure you've heard of in the united states dalton georgia population of 33,000 has 50 churches has over 50 churches Southgate, Michigan, the population of 30,700 has 19 Christian churches. Laguna Hills, California, a population of under 30,000, 29,000, has over 50 Christian churches within four miles. I mean, these are stats that, that have got to affect us to our core. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're an Alpiner, this has to affect you because it's like, how is there a city of 30,000 people with two weekend services, right? And this is going to be probably in the future one of the biggest cities in the state. But that's the reality of what we're dealing with. And, and I believe that, that we can, uh, our hearts are broken at Alpine as a staff because of those stats. I mean, that is, that is just a very humbling thing to hear and to see. And so the second thing that we need to do after our heart is broken is what Nehemiah did. He determined to make prayer a priority in his life. And after, if you notice from the last verse, when he heard about this, he wept and then he prayed. That was his response. That was the first thing that he did. And there's such a depth of humility and of honesty in his prayer. Let's read that together. This is 1, 5 through 7. It says, Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands 
decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. And then it says this in verse 11. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Now that, that last part, grant my success by making the king favorable to me. This is another thing that we need to know about ancient uh, people and, and kingdoms. You didn't just go up to the king and say, hey, can I go do this, please? Can I leave what I'm doing for you and just go and do this thing? Because most likely what would happen is the king would get upset and he would probably have you uh, put to death right on the spot or you'd be severely demoted or put into prison. And so Nehemiah is crying out to God, God, please give me favor with the king. And then we see all throughout his prayer, we see, uh, I think, a great pattern of how to pray. He, said, he, he starts with a praise. He says, oh, great and awesome God. I believe one of the reasons why we struggle with prayer is because we don't always really take time to think and praise the person we're praying to. Because if we understood I mean, not, not fully understood, but if we understood that God is the God of everything, he has control over everything, he has all power over everything, we would come to prayer with much more uh, confidence and faith as we pray, just like Nehemiah did. And then he, he, he's reliant on God. He says, listen to my prayer, look down, see me praying day and night. And then, I love this, he takes ownership. And Nehemiah was probably one of the people who, who wasn't really as much to blame, but he says, you know what, I've messed up, my family have messed up, we've all done stupid things, we, we've made mistakes, so we confess that, forgive us of that. He's not trying to act like he, he's entitled to something or he deserves something from God. He knows that God doesn't owe him anything. And then uh, the last thing, he's, he just really asks for God's help. God, you're the only one who can do this. I need you to do this. I need your help in this endeavor for this to succeed. And that's why we've made uh, prayer really one of the things, one of the most important things in the Legacy Project. If you, I, I, you probably sat on like four papers when you came in. If you grab this one, uh, this is our prayer card. It has 49 days of prayer. And I encourage you to take this, to keep it in your Bible, keep it in your car, keep it on your bedside table. And it has each day, you can start today, you can start tomorrow, whatever. Um, and it has a verse and then something to thank God or ask God for. Because we know that, that if we don't pray that, that this will not succeed. Because we need God, we need God in the midst of this. And then we also want to uh, invite you. I want to invite you. I'll be there next week, November 3rd. Uh, the, the address is up here. It's going to be on the website too. We'll make a Facebook post about it. If you have any questions about this, come and talk to me. But we're going to have a prayer uh, afternoon next Sunday, November 3rd at 4 p.m. at the Syracuse Land. You know, one of the cool things that we've done with every Alpine campus is before we even start to uh, put a shovel in the ground, we, we gather together as a church and we just pray over the land that God would bless it, that, that thousands of people would be impacted by this building. We, we know that God needs and has to be there from the start. 
And so I want to invite you to do both of those things as we go through this uh, legacy project. We're deeply dependent on God because uh, we know that when we do pray, great things happen. Doors are open, minds are changed, resources are unleashed, hearts are softened. One of my favorite verses about prayer is James 5.16. It says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Some people think you're, you're stupid for praying. Some people think it's a waste of time to pray. Sometimes we can feel that way. But, but I want to encourage you with Nehemiah's prayer, with this verse, that, that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Because you know what? God is behind that. It's not us. It's God doing what only God can do. So let's determine to make prayer a part of our lives. And then the, the next thing that we need to do is we need to develop a spirit of determination to do whatever it takes. In Nehemiah chapter 3, we see an extensive list of all of the different skilled laborers, of the, the tradesmen, of the people, men and women who gave their best effort to further the kingdom of God and had this determination that they were going to do whatever it took to rebuild these walls in Jerusalem. All kinds of supplies had to be bought. All kinds of materials had to be sought. They didn't have planes and trains and cars, so many times they had to be brought very, a lot slower than we would today. But they were determined to do whatever it took. And, and, and the thing that we need to understand, too, is so the walls were destroyed, Right? And so as they were rebuilding these walls, you, you can guess that there were people who probably didn't want this to happen. And they're probably the people who destroyed the walls in the first place. There's going to be people who are mocking and saying, you can't do this, you shouldn't do this. There's going to be attacks, ambushes. That Nehemiah says this in 4, 22 and 23. He says, at that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and workers by day. And then he says, neither I nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went out for water. I mean, this has just got to get you pumped up. Because what these people are doing is they have a trowel, they have a shovel in one hand, and they have a sword in the other hand. They're working by day, and then they're guarding by night so to see that no one comes and destroys or, or interrupts the work that's being done. I mean, this is such a powerful, I don't think that when we build the Syracuse campus, there's going to be people with guns trying to hurt us. I hope not. But these people, literally, he said, keep your clothes on. Always be ready because anything can happen at any point. They were determined to make this happen. And, and this, this uh, reading this story, it just kind of made me grateful. I often reflect on just our campus and and how many great people we have here who do so many things, who are determined to help people pursue God. Yesterday we had the harvest party. It was great weather, but the wind was just, it made it so much colder. But we had our trunk or treaters out there who decorated their cars. We had our face painters. We had uh, our cooks. We had our candy runners. We had all these people who, who just pulled together to make this event happen for hundreds of people so that we can make a positive 
impact on our community. We have every week Kids Church. I don't need to say anything more about that. We have people uh, who come and give up hours and hours on their Saturday to clean the church so that when we come, there can be a clean, nice environment here. We have the worship teams that puts in uh, tons of hours of practice during the week to come here and to use their gifts to worship God. We have the ushers and greeters who are intentional and smile even when they're having a bad day sometimes. And uh, welcome and make our church a welcoming place. We have small group leaders and mentors who desire to help people grow, grow closer to Jesus through their intentionality. Now, all these people, it just reminds me of this modern day, what was going on back then. Of people determined to help people pursue after God and see Jesus be given the glory you know, but part, part of the last, the last thing we're going to look at, part of doing uh, whatever it takes, is we need to demonstrate a commitment to sacrifice greatly. You know, nothing that's worth doing, I believe, is going to be easy. Going back to all those people at the beginning that I named that left a lasting legacy, it, what, I guarantee it wasn't easy for them. Some of them lost their lives over what they were doing. They sacrificed greatly. And we see in Nehemiah's day, and even today, God's people uh, provided money for everything they needed. To rebuild those walls of Jerusalem, they needed resource, they needed skilled labor, people who they had to hire out because that was what they needed. They couldn't do it themselves. And, And what's so cool about this is that Nehemiah names them by name. He doesn't just say some people came and helped. As you read through the latter chapters of Nehemiah, you see all these people who showed up and helped and used their gifts and their skills and their resources to make this happen. And the cool thing is is that their legacy has been upheld thousands of years through God's word. And then the other thing is, is it really, it takes an army, it takes a village to accomplish something great like this. You see the priests, the Levites, the rulers, the men, the women, the farmers, the jewelers, pharmacists. There are so many people who chipped in to help in this endeavor to make this happen. And this is where I believe that we all come in in God's overarching story. You know, I believe that that to further God's kingdom here in Utah through Alpine Church, we're going to have to sacrifice greatly. Because the truth of the matter is, is that a building, one of, the, one of the reasons we only have one service in Syracuse is because the rental facility, which we were uh, denied multiple facilities when we were looking a, a few years ago, will only l- allow us a certain amount of time so we can only have one service. But we believe a building will help us further God's kingdom. And so just really practically this morning, um, you know, one of my responsibilities as as your pastor is to be uh, honest with you. And so we, over the next two weeks, while we're doing the Legacy Project, we want to raise $400,000 by November 10th to help put a down payment on the building in Syracuse. The campus itself has pledged to give a million over the next three years. Because we want to make this happen. We want to do this with as little debt as possible. So on your chair, you'll see the card, uh, the commitment card, the giving card. I'm going to grab one real quick because I lost mine up here. 
But there's, two, there's actually two of these cards, the, how you can give. So it's not just money. Um, there, there is that, but there's also other things. And then this Legacy Project Meet the Need card, this commitment card. Um, we're asking, if you're, if you're an Alpiner, if you're a Christian, if you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus, we're asking everyone to take this, fill it out, and this is a one-time gift toward the Syracuse campus. This is above and beyond your normal giving to uh, church. My wife and I, we give to Alpine. We, we support multiple missionaries and, and endeavors like that. But we've decided to make a one-time gift toward the Legacy Project to further uh, the kingdom of God in the city of Syracuse. And, and really, I just want to let you know the word sacrifice, it, it means sacrifice. It's going to hurt, right? I, I, I'm under the conviction that giving should hurt. I mean, giving is, is you're taking your money, you're putting your faith in God that he's going to provide. And, and let me just encourage you, it never is going to be the right time. It's always, oh, I could spend the money on this, I could give to this, I could do this, I could do this. But I love what Jesus said in, in Luke 6.38. He said this. He said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. The amount you give will determine the amount that you give back. I think this is uh, in, your, in your finances. I think this is in your time. I think this is in your treasure. I think it's in your giftings. And I don't think it's a, it's, it's a one out of three or a two out of three. I think it's a three out of three. Time, talent, and treasure. It all belongs to God. You know, a lot of us ask the question of, of how much of my money should I give? When really the question that we should be asking ourselves is how much of God's money should I keep? Because all of what we have, everything that we've been given has come from God. He's blessed us with this. There's multiple parables. God gives us things to manage on the earth. When, when Bill Gates uh, passes on, when he dies, there's not going to be 100,000 100, U-Hauls following behind his hearse with all of his stuff, right? His stuff's going to stay here. He's just managing it right now. And that's exactly what we're doing. God has given us so much, and we should, uh, I believe, be generous. Because really, what Jesus says here, the amount that we're generous is the amount we're going to be given. It all belongs to God. And at Alpine Church, our, our Goal is to help people pursue God. I don't know if I've said that at all this sermon. But that's our mission. That's what we're here for. That's why Brian, 20, almost 20 years ago, came to Utah because he saw a need. He planted a church in a backyard. And, and as we've grown over the years, the need has, has been filled a little bit. But we still have so much further to go. I love how Brian said in the video, this is not the last campus we're going to plant, but this is just what we're going to focus on right now. Because we're going to continue to build, God willing, in, along the Wasatch Front. Because we're passionate about seeing people experience Jesus. And I love what Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't expect people to come to him, to, to find him. He went to people. He went to the disciples. He called them. He went to the towns, to the villages, and he preached to them. He didn't just sit in a chair and say, hey, everyone, come here. You know, come over here. 
He went out to people. He was active. And so that's how we're going to be as a church. You know, and speaking of sacrifice, it says in Corinthians that the greatest sacrifice was Christ dying on the cross for us. He's already given more than we could ever imagine on giving. He gave his own life for us, for our sake. He took on our sin, our punishment that we deserved freely. And so we're called to give and to be generous. And I want to end with this. When one Alpine campus wins, all of Alpine wins. When one campus wins, every campus wins. You know, when when Logan wins, Desert Edge wins. They're four hours apart. But they still win because we're all one church. We're a part of one thing. We're moving in the same direction. Last year, uh, through your generosity and the generosity of all the campuses, we were able to retire the mortgage on this building. Praise God for that. That's awesome. But you know what? Every campus gave toward that cause. It, It wasn't just us here. It was every campus giving toward that cause. And so now it's our time to be able to bless uh, the Syracuse campus, and to further God's kingdom to, uh, to our south. And again, when one campus wins, all of Alpine wins. And I think when Alpine wins, the kingdom of God wins. Because more people come to know Jesus. So I encourage you this morning, step out in faith, give generously, pray daily, determine to make a difference in this legacy project. All for the glory of God. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, we, uh, we're just here for you this morning. We're here for you every week. God, and I pray that for all the songs that we sing, for everything that's done here, the harvest party, whatever we do, God, would be for your honor, for your glory, God, that it wouldn't be a person being lifted up, but it would be the name of Jesus that's lift up, lifted up. God, I'm, I'm humbled by all the people And here, God, who have proven their love for you through uh, just giving you first place in their lives. God, and I thank you for your church, God, that you love your church more uh, than anyone. And you want it to succeed more than anyone. And so, God, I pray that you would work in each and every single person in this room, myself included, God, to step out and to be generous, God, to pray fervently for your will to be done, for your kingdom to come here in Utah where there is such a powerful need. Jesus, thank you for how you sacrificed for us on the cross. May that lead us each and every day, God, as we walk through how we treat people. God, that your love, your mercy, your grace would would shine through us in our actions. God, and specifically this morning, maybe there's a person sitting there, God, that you've, you've been speaking to, maybe this morning, maybe all week, maybe all year, God, if, if uh, you're asking them to do something, to step out in faith, I pray, God, that they would do that this morning, God, and that we would all, uh, that we would blow this expectation out of the water, God, because I know that even, even $400,000 sounds like a lot of money, but that's nothing to you. God, so we're excited of what you're going to do. We're expectant for what you're going to do. God, be with Syracuse, Lord, as they, uh, as they figure out all the logistics for this, for moving forward. 
give Pastor Sean wisdom, give his leaders perseverance and a determination to do whatever it takes, God, and help us to be there each step of the way to support them. God, I love what we're going to sing in this next song. God, would you break our heart for what breaks yours? God, and we, would we be everything for your kingdom, Lord, everything that we do, everything that we are, for your kingdom come. Lord, we worship you and pray that you would be glorified as we conclude this service. In Jesus' name, amen.